tuck in your jersey, pull up your shooter sleeve, and get ready for Between Two Buckets. Welcome back, Bucket Nation. What's up? I'm your boy, Jay-Z, John Ziegel. How are you doing? With me, as always, is Mr. Ezra Skobolov. Uh, Scoby, what's up, Scoby? How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, good, good. We uh, we had a little bit of bad news in Sixerland. I saw Mr. Joel. Um, he's got a little boo-boo. He's got a little injury. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you're going to do some of these jokes, I feel like I got to believe it. But, like, these are just... Just, you can do so much better, man. Come on. Yeah, he, he is suffering from an injury. It is not serious. He'll be out two to three weeks. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, but today's topic uh, on the Knicks side of things is Mr. Emmanuel Quickly, the, the 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 super rook, right? And what a year he's having, isn't he? Who? Who? Yeah. <laughs> Before we get started, though, should we, should we introduce today's uh, sponsors, right? Yeah, we got two somewhat similar sponsors today. Yeah, yeah, this is cool. They, uh, I guess, maybe they had like an association of independent films, and uh, and they came out. And you guys probably talked about us, probably been listening to the pod, and said, uh, you know what, we should call them up. We should try to sponsor one of their podcasts. So they reached out to us. Uh, the first one is uh, is a, is a cult classic, Reservoir Dogs. Right? Uh, they reached out to us. Thrilled to have these guys aboard. Uh, they basically said Reservoir Dogs because much like Julius Randall. You were underappreciated at the time you came out, right? And uh, and Reservoir Dogs, much like Julius Randle, they'll be missed after they're no longer playing in major venues. And Reservoir Dogs, because much like Tom Thibodeau, the best of Tarantino was yet to come. What do you think about that, Ezra? Yeah, I, d- I doubt that last one, but I, I like that movie. You You really like that movie, huh? It's a good movie. It's a really it's it, it told you what was coming with Tarantino. It had a great cast. Uh, it it uh, there were still there were still skeptics, but the movie showed that it held up over time. And I think that's if you're creating a movie, that's what you're really looking for, right? You want it to be successful, and you want it to 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 hold up over time. And you know, great great film. Great film. Oh oh yeah yeah for sure. And I wonder too. So uh, do you recall what Tarantino's cameo is in that one? Oof. I know that's a left field question, but that's I went for one. it. Well, no. I'm getting little flashes, but I don't think they're right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just be honest and say no. Do you, can you recall any of the cameos he in, the, in his movies? Sure. Yeah, of course. And in, uh, in Pulp Fiction, uh, uh, Jewel, you know, Sam Jackson and, and, and Travolta, they, they came to his house. They got those terrible T-shirts. They cleaned up there. He introduced him to the wolf, who cleaned things up. Uh, so he that he had that cameo. Uh, let's see. He he had uh, oh in uh, Django Unchained. He was one of the um, the merchants at the end that was trying to pick up Jamie Fox to bring him to you know this terrible uh, you know plantation, if you will. Um, yeah. Where else uh, was he? Was he in Kill Bill? Was Tarantino in Kill Bill? Uh, in all of them, right? Does he always have a cameo? Not, I don't think, I don't think that's maybe true. not everyone. That was that was what I thought. He always put himself in at least like one scene. That's Stan Lee. Stan Lee does that with the Marvel movies, right? Even even posthumously, right? I said that right. Even yeah. even posthumously, whatever. Posthumously, yeah. Even from the movies, showing up in Spider Man movies, 
But uh, yeah, Stan Lee, I know, does that. Uh, uh, all right, hit, give me one more. Give me one. Give me one more film. I'm pretty sure Tarantino does too. Um, another Tarantino. But uh, well, was he in Reservoir Dogs? You brought it up. Was he in Reservoir Dogs, or was that just a question? I don't know. You were like <laughs> Reservoir Dogs Stan, so I was like, well, you, maybe you know. You said uh, it with great confidence, so I, I I was assuming that he did have a cameo, and I just I don't recall. I'm Hateful so- Eight is his. I don't remember if that. I heard that wasn't good, so I didn't see it. But I saw it. Yeah, it was all right. Ooh, uh, you know what's really good? The most I think the most recent one was um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh yeah, I saw that too. That was good. Yeah, I don't remember what his thing was. Oh wait, but but you didn't answer the question. Is does he have a cameo in Reservoir Dogs? I just assume. Do you? Do I need to Google it? Uh, no, I don't think so. We can move on. I, yeah. I think the answer is no. Let's look it up. We don't want to waste people's times. Let's move yeah, on. The last four minutes. No. Good, good movies, though. Great filmmaker. I'm a big fan. You know, if you're not into the gore, don't watch his films. But if you like creative, chaotic, scary, and very exciting and very good films, you know, action films, you know, check them out. And beyond the gore, just great filmmaker. Great, great stories. Yeah, spaghetti westerns. So, you know, more importantly, <laughs> you know, more importantly, because I'd never heard of this guy before until, you know, you told me about him, uh, you know, in the intro. But there's a guy named Emmanuel Quickley. What, what's his name? He's a he, yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like the way you want your players to play. You want them to play quickly. Like Rush? Emmanuel Rush. Quickly. Yeah. Uh, I don't uh, know. You don't know about this guy. He's basically, you know, a phenom. He's basically, you know, years ahead of his age. Uh, and like Max Anthony Bennett. He's he's like, you know, um, I can't. There's probably he's like a like Mo Cheeks. No, that's not true. Uh, I don't really think the Sixers know anybody like him. So I get why you wouldn't know who he is. But uh, yeah, let's talk about him. Emmanuel quickly rookie uh, drafted this year in the in the you know pick uh, twenty five out of Kentucky. Two years under Calipari's system. Kenny Payne, assistant coach, probably, you know, was whispering in the Knicks' ears, what a good player. William West, uh, Worldwide West, uh, article came out in the Post this week talking about how, you know, that Knicks front office, uh, you know, they got a lot of voices, a lot of experience, a lot of, you know, years of experience in that team. And everyone's weighing in, what do we, what do we want? How do we want to build our team? Who do we want to draft? And apparently it was Worldwide West was pushing hard to get him on the Knicks because he said, look, the guy can run a team. The guy can shoot from the outside. The guy is a special talent. Draft this guy, and he fought and fought and fought, and he's on the Knicks, and he has been balling out pretty much since day one. You know, the guy is a great scorer. He's a volume shooter. He's a three-point shooter. He has a high percentage of threes. He's got some nice moves. You know, he can he can, he can can pin guy. I've never seen a rookie with this kind of poise where he gets his defender on his hip, and before you know it, his defender's on his back, and he's up for these floaters, and he's getting fouled, and he's going to the line, and he's just got a terrific offensive game. He has a couple bad games here and there, but I think that's just kind of, you know, rookie things that happen. That's what happens to rookies. They're inconsistent, right? Tibbs knows. Tibbs has given him plenty of minutes, plenty of opportunities, plenty of chances. He's got a nice roster of guards around him. Everyone kind of offers different things, but he's earning his minutes and he's playing well and he's helping the team win. He's also playing a lot of closing minutes, uh, which is very unexpected for a rookie, especially on the Knicks, especially on a Tibbs coach Knicks team, but that's what's happening. And I think all those are like, indicators of how good this guy is yeah and i know 
Uh, I know I just just heard about him, but I feel like maybe had I heard about him before, I'd been like, why is he not getting any more minutes, Tibbs? Like, what's up? And even today, you got all these injuries to your backcourt players, and they still brought him off the bench. Tell me about that. Like, what do you do? You agree with that decision? You know, what are your thoughts? Should he be getting more minutes? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There are a lot of injuries, right? So starting point guard Alfred Payton, he's been hurt, got a hamstring issue. Uh, Derek Rose, COVID protocols, he's missed a few games. Austin Rivers, they've decided to sit ever since the Derek Rose trade. So apparently he's decided to have a baby. Don't ask me why, but he's down in Manhattan, you know, taking care of his new baby boy. Congratulations. He literally, like, since he got benched and impregnated yeah. his girlfriend or wife and she had the baby already? They expedited the whole thing. I've never seen it. It's like science, you know? Very like good. Did Trump do this? Was this like a vaccine? Uh, what is it, warp speed? It's pretty, much, warp it's, pretty speed? Much, it's pretty much how the Republicans operate. Like very fast, very efficient. Um, good, f- good for the Knicks. You know, Republicans. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. So, so look, he's getting more minutes, right? What, what are Tibbs' options? Uh, play Frank Nilakina. Well, fr- I love Frank. Right? We talked about him. Uh, I think two two pods ago. Frank's a, a terrific stout defender. The boy cannot run a team, right? He's, it's over his head. It's not his thing. He's in his third year. The boy cannot run a team. Quickly, though, he's got some skills at that, right? So, so you know, today's game, for example, we had a, a 2 o'clock matinee. Uh, we played the Thunder. We beat him by, you know, 20-something points. Um, 33 minutes for this guy, 21 points. Four Wait, six, question. Frank started, but it looks like he only had seven minutes. Uh, what happened with that? I didn't see the game. What happened with that? Did he start, get no minutes? Did he get hurt? Like, what was up? I'm not really sure what happened there. Uh, Frankie uh, does have a tendency to get, like, small injuries, get a little nicked up, get a little banged up, and then miss a lot of time. And that's kind of been the Frankie story for forever. Uh, But, but yeah, you know, and and here's the thing with Quick. You know, like, a lot of times he gets minutes and he produces at a high level. He produces the way a guy in his fourth or fifth year would produce, you know? Do I think he needs to start when everybody is healthy? No, I don't think so, right? I think his job as a rookie is to come in, provide energy off the bench, and that's a strong bench unit for the Knicks, right? You have Quickly and Rose, right? Both guys kind of similar, right? About the same size. You know, one's a young buck, one's one's an old head, you know, and the way that they run the offense, they can both facilitate, right? Neither guy is a high assist guy, but both can kind of facilitate, create a little bit. Both are playmakers. Both shoot, right? Shoot from the outside. I think Rose, over his career, not a great outside shooter, right? This year with the Knicks, actually happens to be shooting pretty good from outside. Very good long range, both long twos and threes. But that's not really that's not really what he's there to do. Derrick Rose is a weapon. You know, he beats his man off the dribble. He takes it to the bucket. He'll dish. He's got a nice mid-range game. We talked about that. So quickly kind of compliments him in that. You know, he has a longer range game, right? He can also take it to the middle. He can also shoot his floaters. He's very disruptive. He creates space really nicely. He does a lot of good things. But I don't think the team, and I don't think personally, that I think he needs to be rushed into being handed 35 minutes on a regular basis. I don't think he needs to start over Peyton right now, even though he's more exciting and he and he does a lot on the court that Peyton doesn't do. I think Peyton, you know, and this is kind of hard because I'm not trying to sell Peyton over quickly. Like if I had to choose one, I'm definitely going IQ. But with his experience, what he brings to the table is like he runs the team. He gets the ball to Randall where he wants it. He gets the ball to RJ where he wants it. He's a good defender. He's a bit taller, bigger, stronger. 
you know, quickly is not there physically yet. Um, but but I think he learns if you watch Peyton run the team, quickly can learn from that. If you watch how he defends, quickly can learn from that. Like even the way Quick plays defense, like he kind of has long strides on defense. You know, he kind of gets called for a few fouls. He kind of he's not quite staying in front of his man the way he should. Like, you know, it's going to take maybe a couple years. Let's call it two years before he becomes like a solid, solid defensive player. Then again, having said that, the team as a whole, when he's on the floor, is better than average defensively by, I think, 2.8 points per possession. So he's not hurting the team defensively. I just think he has some stuff to grow. And the rookie year and the second year is really when you should be taking advantage, being able to make mistakes and not having them count against you per se. That should be when you should be growing and learning, making mistakes, watching the vets. You know, because when you're a vet yourself, now you're just competing, right? So like, I think Tibbs is doing a nice job giving him a ton of exposure, but not sort of hurting his development. Yeah, I hear you. It's just, I, I was just looking like today, uh, today being Saturday's two o'clock game was the most minutes he got all year. He got 33. And when I've said like, oh, should he be getting more minutes? I don't mean that he needs to get more than 30, but he's averaging a tick under 19 minutes a game. And it just makes me think like, this guy, again, it's not like force him into 35 minutes, but can I get 24, 25 minutes? And I think if you look at the data, the on-off splits in terms of like when he plays with Randall, they're, the Knicks are real, like really productive. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, – got to bring this up, of course, but – when Randall and Quickly are on the floor together, and it's only been at least at the time, uh, Jonathan Tarks of The Ringer wrote an article a few weeks ago. At the time, they had only played about 250 minutes together. And you're beating guys by 13.6 points over you know 100 possessions. When Randall plays without Quickly, and that's the majority of the minutes, almost 1,000 minutes, the Knicks are actually minus almost two points. So it's kind of... It's interesting, like your best player performs better when Quickly's in the game, yet he much more commonly playing without Quickly despite playing the most minutes in the league. Yeah, yeah. So I I hear what you're saying, right? When Quickly and Randall are on the floor together, it is the best combination that the Knicks have in terms of two-man duos, in terms of like outpacing opponents. So why not keep them on the floor together more often, right? Here's what, yeah. Sorry. No, I clarify too. Like, I don't know that that's, I'll look it up. I don't know if it's the best duo, but in terms of between whether it's Randall and Quickly, just Randall or yeah. just Quickly, they're, they're by far better when Randall and Quickly play together. But if they just, they don't, that's the fewest minutes of those three options is when they actually play together. Yeah. So, sort of, here's how I see, here's how, I, you know, in watching the games the way I do, here's what I'm kind of seeing, right? First unit comes in, you know, they try to establish, you know, a defensive tone. Offensively, they try to get into their sets. They try to push the pace a little bit. Peyton's not the guy to push the pace. This team, this Knicks team does not have good pace, right? We've, I've talked about it before. I've tweeted about it before. You know, the first game that Peyton was out and Derrick Rose started, they scored like 140 points, right? Derrick Rose just pushed the pace, right? So, but that's, but he's only started a handful of games, right? And I think they're 3-0 in games that he's started which is why a lot of Knicks fans want Derrick Rose to start over Alfred Payton, right? 
But when you think about it quickly, like he comes in, let's call it minute eight or nine in the first quarter. By then, Julius is already in a flow. He's already touched the ball a bunch, quickly comes in. If you have him starting, here's the problem. It's like it's an excess of goodies, right? Like RJ can do his thing. He can facilitate. He can score. He can drive. Randall can do his thing down low. There comes a point where you have players that don't get to play to their strengths because they're deferring or learning to play as a third or fourth option, right? Whereas if you have him coming off the bench, all of a sudden he's igniting the offense. So when you think about the second unit of the Knicks, you got Quickly and Rose and you got Kevin Knox at the three and Obi Toppin at the four. And, you know, you, you got these young, fast guys pushing pace. And ideally your second unit, which isn't as skilled as your first unit, but what they can do is they can run, they can get out, they can push the pace, they can try to score more, get some easy buckets. So when Quickly is part of that second unit and Randall gets that few sparse minutes and then he comes back in and is getting warmed up, then Quickly's in a groove, Randall's, you know, rested coming back in. They have those moments where they really click, right? Randall's got it down low. They have a nice two-man game. They can space the floor for each other. But I think you lose a little something if you try to crowd everybody in on the court at the same time, right? You well, still, it's interesting, though. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. You, you still got to feed other guys, right? So you still got to feed R.J. Barrett and then whoever the 3 and D, whether it's, you know, Burks or whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, Reggie Bullock, you know, you got to feed those guys, too. So I think Bullock in a 3 and D role – who can just wait for the kick out for Randall. I think that's a good spot for him. Like he's not relied on for a lot of minutes or a lot of production, but three and D that's a good complimentary, like fourth option on offense. And then, and then quickly, I think just like, you know, is, is running amok with second team. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I get the idea of like, you see this guy as a scorer who, you know, uh, and it's easy to think of like, oh, six man or like bench unit gunners, right? And and I get that, but when you think about it, the, the guys you mentioned who are who are all coming off the bench, the other guys like um, uh, Obi and uh, I already forget the other guys you said. Knox, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So what? those dudes, yeah. You know, I can see that. Like, all right, you need a scorer to be in the game to, to help keep the offense afloat. But I double checked. I mean, like I said, when, as of today, quickly and Randall, when they play together, they're plus 14 over a hundred processions. Yeah. When Randall and Alfred pay together, they're minus three. And my guess is yes. The limitation that, you know, forgetting defense for a second because apparently no one cares about that. Um, forgetting the de- defensive side quickly isn't your table setter, but for a three and for a four, both Randall and uh, what RJ. Uh, RJ? Yeah, RJ. None, none of these guys are worth talking about, I guess. So I forget the name. Both of those dudes for their positions are actually really good facilitators. They're good playmakers. So I feel like the value of the three-point shooting opens up the floor for those guys. And because you're not missing out on as much playmaking because those guys are really good for their positions at that, that like it's, it's, it's more of a benefit than having a guy who's a traditional point guard, but that no one respects from three, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a totally valid point. I get what you're saying. You know, and look, that's not to say that next year quickly isn't the starting 
point guard or the year after that. And RJ is young enough and Randall, if they re-sign him, is young enough. That could be the triumvirate. It could be quick. could be RJ. But there are also going to be times you're going to want, as teams figure out how to defend the Knicks, and not that they're offensive juggernauts by any means, <coughs> you know, but like if they start to trap quickly, like if they start to trap RJ, like RJ's got nice handle, but I don't know that he can dribble through a double team. You know what I mean? No one's, but no one's trapping RJ because he's not a shooter. The, the benefit is if they did try to trap quickly because he does shoot threes off the dribble, if you're dishing it, if the release valve is either RJ or Randall, they're both good passers. So you're creating a four, a, a four on three situation with good guys who know how to play make. Like that would be good offense. But part C, uh, to me, a lot of it screams like Tibbs old school mindset need a floor general but the league has like moved away from that like most of the like star guards are the guys who can create for themselves almost more than for others only because just by creating for themselves and teams needing to be hyper aware of shooting off the dribble it creates more attention and opens up avenues for other dudes think like Lillard and uh Trey stuff like that so here's the thing with with Tibbs, right? And he just came out this week and said it. He's like, I like good players. You know, they asked him, he's like, I'm not the GM, right? You got to go ask Leon Rose about what's happening in the next two weeks. But he's like, I like good players, right? And so he plays good players. He plays the players that are best helping him win games, right? So he's giving a lot of minutes to quickly. If you would ask anybody around the league prior to this year, how many minutes does Tibbs give rookies? And the answer is not a lot. He does not play rookies a lot of minutes. But he's giving this guy like savvy veteran rotational minutes, right? Now, what's with the love affair that that Peyton? Well, Alfred Peyton, you know, he's he's very flawed, right? But Mike Miller played him a lot last year. David Fizdale played him a lot last year. He's played a lot in a lot of the teams that he's played for because for some reason he does enough good on the court than bad. Is his optimal spot like backup point guard? Probably on a really good team. Would he do well as a backup in Boston or, you know, via trade to some other team? That's 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 a better spot for him. But again, quickly, like you're talking about his development. I think you don't need to. You can get high efficiency. There's a thing of diminishing return. You can get high efficiency now in limited minutes with Randall. But, you know, what happens if you play them 35 minutes together on the court at the same time? You know, something to be safe for like staggering your lineups and figuring out which lineups complement each other well. But if you if it's up to Tibbs, I think Tibbs would prefer to have a starting one who can do a little bit more and is more of a veteran, more of a playmaker, better defender. I think he likes Alonzo Ball. I think he likes a Terry Rozier. I think he likes those guys and would trade Peyton away and keep quickly as the super sub six man and let him continue to learn, let him continue to play on the court with D Rose at the same time. That's a fun combination that play off each other. They play, you know, with a lot of electricity. They play with a lot of energy. I think he's kind of figure out how best to use quickly. You know, and I know the numbers, you know, I, I like the numbers you're bringing up, you know, it shows where they can use him best, but a lot of that has to do with like circumstance, right? I mean, that's the thing with, with advanced data statistics. It's, it, it's circumstantial, you know, who's guarding, you know, who's the better guard on the first unit versus on the second unit in terms of the players that they're guarding, like stats are great, but they're also circumstantial. Yeah. But to me, it, it feels like. If, okay, you, you, the rookie thing, whatever. But I mean, the title of Chark's Ringer article was, 
it's time for the Knicks to unleash Emmanuel quickly. You know, this was uh, February 26th, right, uh, at the All-Star break. So if you don't believe me, maybe you have uh, more respect from uh, Jonathan Charks and his, his take. But I think it, the whole point is that, like, look, even if you didn't want him to start, these lineups are doing well. Lean into him a little bit more. And even he's saying that, like, look, if you – if you're looking for that floor general again, in, in his words, um, you know, Peyton's a traditional floor general who's at his best when he can control the tempo of the game or on the office, but that's what Randall and Barrett want to do already. So they don't need another playmaker. They need someone like quickly who can open up the floor to be that release valve in the half court offense, which is what I was talking about, but yeah, so like, maybe, maybe it'll progress. So I just, I just looked this up, right? So, you know, we've had two games back since the All-Star break. We won today's game. We got blown out by the Bucks. right? That was our first game back. Uh, Peyton was available for the game. He played 24 minutes, had 10 points, five rebounds, three assists. Quickly played 24, the same number of minutes. He played 24 minutes, 15 points, zero assists, one rebound. 15, zero, and one. So. Okay, but- Talking about context, you're giving us the stats, but how did the team perform in those minutes? They got blown out. They no, got but no in the minutes. I'd, I'd be curious to see in the minutes that quickly played. Basically, what was a plus minus? Obviously, there's you know that can be hairy too. But what what was Peyton's plus minus and what was Quickly's plus minus? Yeah, yeah. I uh, okay. Here we go. Let's see if I can. Yeah, might take a minute to look it up, but. Yeah, technology. Good point. We can come back to this. You know, I don't want to do this now Uh, and certainly look up the plus minus. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, you know, I think a rookie in his first go around, you know, who hasn't played, you know, who hasn't played a full NBA season, even though this is an abbreviated season, who's only played college basketball seasons. Give the man some time. Like he doesn't have to. He doesn't, you know. He's doing what he's he's doing amazing things. Let's not rush his development. The team is still figuring out what they're going to do. It's Tibbs' first year. You know, we got to get our offense going a little bit. We got to push the pace a little bit. Trade lines, trade deadlines coming up. We're going to see. You know, we're going to see. You know, if Leon Rose and World Wide West can work a little magic, try to get us a little more production out of the one spot, and maybe the second half, maybe they do give quickly more minutes. Maybe they're just trying to boost Peyton's value in the eyes of other teams. You know. They're not trying to trade quickly, right? They don't want to give him up. They know they know what they have there. They know he's a steal. Other teams know that too. Keep his minutes down. Try to boost Peyton, right? Could be a could be a play. I don't know. Just just because I know how to use the internet too, I figured it out. By the way, but uh, they played the same minutes, Peyton and quickly, and uh, yeah, exactly he, what. I, yeah, he was minus twenty one in his twenty four minutes. Who, quickly yeah. was quickly was minus twelve. So. Just throwing out there again. I don't know the context of the game and if some of that was garbage time minutes I quickly got, but um, twice as bad was was Peyton. That's a weird way to have described that. But any any closing thoughts on the conversation where I was right? No, I think uh, I think this was a great conversation, Paul George. Before before we bring on our second sponsor, Paul George. After the Knicks, uh, let's just say. Gave the Clippers a scare a few weeks ago. Still lost. Clippers, you know, all that A-plus talent. Uh, you know, Paul George came out after the game and said, you know, that boy is fearless, right? He talked about his floater, how good his game was. High praise. He's getting a lot of compliments from the rest of the league. So, young man, keep doing your thing. Uh, New York loves your game, loves how you play, your determination, your grit. Uh, we're excited to see what the future holds for you. And uh, 
and uh, maybe you know maybe you'll you'll be starting one day. Who knows? Maybe maybe you'll be passing the ball to Devin Booker or Carl Anthony Towns. Who knows? Uh, so we'll you know we'll get there. But um, Ezra, what do you think? Should we bring on uh, our second sponsor? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we we had a Tarantino film promote. Uh, or rather give us money and, you know, words. But we actually had some Coen Brothers action come and, and give us a wad of dough to sponsor as well. And that's the classic, The Big Lebowski. Between Two Buckets, brought to you by Big Lebowski, the Ben Simmons of cinema, the kind of greatness not everyone is sharp enough to appreciate. Nice. It's also the number one movie of nihilists, or as we call them, Sacramento Kings fans. That's true. And lastly, Big Lebowski, because Joel Embiid is the dude, man. He is the dude. He's that dude. And speaking of Joel, good Lord, is my heart in recovery mode right now. Yeah. So I I wasn't able to catch all of the game uh, Friday night, but... I look at the box score and I'm like, damn, Sixers up like 25. Joel, Joel only had to play 20 minutes, but he still would put in work. And then I realize, oh, he played 20 minutes because of this video I'm about to watch. Oh, fuck me. And um, I know, uh, I don't even know who the health defender was that came over and bumped him while he's in the middle of the air. It wasn't quite a Le- LeBron shove while he was going up for a dunk. But I was kind of pissed that he he put Embiid in that awkward situation. And um, it's not the first time he's hyperextended his knee. It actually happened against the Blazers early in the year. But, man, it was uh, it was tough to sleep last night waiting waiting on the res- those results. But turns out no structural damage. And uh, he'll, he'll be out at least two weeks. And, and that's going to be eight games that uh, minimum that he's going to miss. Yeah, that's a lot of games. That's a lot of games, and it's it's probable that the Nets surpass the Sixers as the number one team in the East during that span of two to three weeks. Do you think the Sixers will be able to catch the Nets once they pull ahead? Well, a lot of assumptions here based in sound logic. So, you know, we have the one-game lead, though. Let's, uh, you know, let's let's take that question on when it happens. But I'll say that the one thing that really surprised me with both Simmons and Embiid out in their first game back against Chicago, which again, not an amazing team, but uh, you know they're in the playoff hunt and they, they have some solid players. We beat their ass without our best two players. So that was great. And then a lot of the other players, you know, Embiid dominated before you know he hurt his knee, but I was surprised um, in a lot of ways, but really happy about how well the other guys started to play. Thibel started making threes. It was like, you know, I think I tweeted about it. It was almost like it, it was the feeling I got when Embiid would, would post 20 and a half, just seeing Thibel hit a few threes in, in, in a, and a half. And so, you know, those guys, Furkan, you know, was doing pretty well. Um, Shake Milton seems to be coming alive a little bit. And and we've seen the Sixers, by the way, with Simmons, uh, with Simmons basically running the team because Embiid was hurt. We've seen them have streak uh, streaks of really good play. You know, winning I think it was fourteen or seventeen games to close the season in twenty eighteen without Embiid. 
the, the thing is they just have a tough stretch. It was going to be tough even with all their players healthy. So, you know, the Sixers are probably going to lose a couple of the games when they play. I think it's Clippers, Bucks, Lakers. We play all those teams in the course of these eight games. And a lot of them are, you know, back to backs or three and four nights. So, you know, could they catch up? I think a lot of it depends, honestly, on do the Nets continue playing great? Yeah. When is KD going to come back? Yeah. And also, is Embiid – I mean, clearly they're going to be careful with them for the rest of the season, but is Embiid going to be able to pick up where he left off when he is clear to play? Exactly. So his issue has always been as just a, a guy that big – like he got himself in a great shape for this season. It's part of the reason he's with the front runner. He was the front runner for MVP. But when he's had to miss time, you just can't replace basketball shape and it takes him a little bit of time. I wonder if because his diet and his fitness is already at a great level now, yeah. if he can come back and pick up and get into shape a lot faster than he did in previous years. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's, here's sort of the, you know, not, not to just rile you up, but you know, I, here's what I honestly think about the team. I've been thinking about the Sixers squad from the handful of games I've been watching and the way I've been tracking them through box scores and whatnot. And I try to think about other successful teams that featured a big man like that. Right. So I'm going to go back to Hakeem Olajuwon and the Rockets. I'm going to go to Dwight Howard and the Magic. And by that, I mean, a, a center unlike no other who was having a, a game a year for the ages, you know, just one for the record books and a squad that was built around him. And I think what the Sixers have tried to do is surround him with outside shooting and defenders, right? And guys that can put the ball in the bucket too, you know, in terms of Tobias and, and whatnot. And, and you know, that Tobias playing that Rashad Lewis role, you know, when the, when the Magic featured Dwight down low. That's, that's a very um, recognizable offensive set where you have the five, the big down low who can score on anybody, and then you surround him with shooters. So when he gets double or tripled, he can kick it out and they can swing it and they can get good shots. Now, the problem is when a guy like that goes down, the offense needs to sort of reinvent itself like pretty quickly. So eight games is a lot of games and give him two, three, four games to come back and sort of recalibrate that team and how they operate. Like it's 15 games before they're going to be like running smoothly again, barring any other injuries you know it's it's a lot of pressure on one guy that i also think you know longer term defensively if you figure out how to defend him if you figure out how to put a big body on him and front him with a smaller guy you know you create other challenges for the sixers to address you know i think this might help other defensive minded coaches figure out how to game against the sixers so that they're not as punishing you know uh, of an offense with them right i mean the dude is is no doubt He's in the he's in the lead for league MVP, right? Harden is nipping at, you know, but I don't think Harden's really going to surpass him, even though his his defensive game is stepping up. It might come down to how many games played over the course of the season. Yeah, Harden- it's a LeBron, Jester, Embiid. I, I mean, I guess it could change, but LeBron's yeah. favorite now after the injury. He's the betting favorite, and then it's Joker after him. Well, I actually think it's it's I think it's Harden too. I think. Probably LeBron, LeBron three, yeah. But I think Harden's also gonna gonna get hurt by what happened in Houston, right? I mean, it depends. You know, I do think because the voting doesn't start like after the last game of the season, it kind of happens in the playoffs. So like first round upsets and things like that do affect 
the the minds of the voters. But let's just call everything, you know, let's pretend everything's going to be even Steven. You know, I don't I don't worry about MVP. I think for the Sixers, this is like championship or bust kind of year. You know, I think we have to see how they recuperate from it, you know? Yeah, the one thing I'll say, though, that I don't agree with is you said, you know, they built this team around him. They built this team around who are the just let's get the best talent we could possibly have in the process era. And that happened to be Simmons was the number one pick after we had Embiid. And, you know, everyone has said, you know, as much as they've questioned, oh, do they fit together? It's been because both of those guys would benefit from spaced four. And as much as Embiid is having a great career year from from beyond the arc, he's still not a guy that like you're is technically spacing the floor for Simmons. So Simmons, again, he's done it before. They have a somewhat different supporting cast. So it, it's not like like I mentioned, it's not like Simmons hasn't been in this position before. And because Embiid's off the floor, even though obviously they're way better with him, Simmons has an opportunity now with much more space now than he typically would have. And the opportunity to continue. I'd like, I'd love to see his aggression go up another notch now that he has more of a burden. And I think we'll see that with Toby too. But, you know, I think it's, it's not inevitable, but it's very likely that, yeah, by the time Embiid comes back, the Nets are in the lead. I think the bigger thing is not seeing the Nets in the playoffs until the conference finals, if we can get that far. So it's keeping that to maybe even, you know, third seed still, you know, maybe it would be us in Milwaukee in the Eastern semis. So that's what's more important to me than – you know, home court obviously, you know, would be great, especially I think fans are starting to come back now and the the home and road splits are still, you know, they do better at home. So it's valuable, but it's more, let's make sure that the conference finals is when we see the Nets and not any sooner. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. You know, um, injuries can create good things for teams, right? If Embiid's hurt, Simmons now has a chance to become ball dominant, right? Other guys, Shake Milton, have a chance to get more minutes, feel a little bit looser, a little more freedom to his game. He might find that game that he was playing last year. You know, I think his injury might give other guys more opportunities, build more confidence. That's going to pay dividends down the road. You know, uh, one of the things Randall does really well is he's starting to wait to pick his moments in the second half of game. So even though he's still a weapon in the first half. He's trying to get other guys going, right? Which Michael Jordan did. Like a lot of play, a lot of all-star players know to get the teammates going and then take over when the game's on the line, right? That's what makes him special talents. So if Embiid is hurt, other guys can step up. And Ben Simmons, you know, I do want to have a laugh with you because because uh, you know you you posted to our Twitter, you posted uh, uh one of the announce it was the, what the announcer for the for the for the Wizards, the DC guy, and he was First, like, oh, Ben Simmons. Yeah, go ahead. Why don't you introduce this? No, I was going to say that was a. I know I kind of ruined it. You were going into it, but I was going to say that's like a five star segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So go, to go, our go. last, to our last and final segment, a popular. We keep doing like remixes or like combos of of different segments we've introduced, but this is, I guess, Colangelo column ish. But it was more the Wizards announcer last night. Um, <laughs> 
Simmons didn't play because, you know, COVID protocols. He should be back uh, tomorrow's game. This fucking clown had the balls to say that Ben Simmons is one of, if not the most overrated players in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to – You like to say controversial things, Ezra, so – do you think he meant it or do you think – now, the second half of that quote well, – what was the second half of that quote? He said people are underappreciating Tobias Harris. And that's, that's not that's, – he's not, he's not wrong, right? Toby Harris is – What do those two things have to do with each other? They have nothing to do – yeah, the, both of those – one of them is completely wrong, like completely wrong, and the other one is true. But I think at the same time, though, like oh, – well. yeah. Had an all-star quality half of the season. We'll see because Embiid takes a lot. Embiid creates a lot that helps Simmons play well, right? If you're Embiid and drawing double double teams, and he's the guy you game plan against, Simmons Simmons is a shooter. Simmons is a shooter, maybe, but that's not. He's. It's harder. This year has been the year they sort of unlocked the way to play with each other. They don't. They're not like incredibly complementary, like of their their styles. Like they they've clashed, and only this year have they really start to figure it out. Um, so it's not like and and Simmons has shown, like I said, like he's had a bunch of different uh, times throughout his career where without Embiid, he's been incredible. And it's a matter of the aggressiveness, and I think he's just finding like mentally, like when's the right time to be aggressive, knowing that I have this guy Embiid who's like. You know, when he's on his game, he's like a top five player. So, were you a were you a, a Lamar Odom fan? Did you watch Lamar Odom play? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, I and all lefty and a great playmaker. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you think? Is that a is that a good analogy? I mean, I mean, I feel like I didn't watch him enough to say. I mean, it's those obvious things. I think, first of all. Be, it's the nature of the conversation becomes about offense. Like how, like this dude is legitimately on defensive player of the year watch and few like Kawhi is the last dude who had this much defensive player of the year talk who wasn't a center because centers just, they, they, they impact the game more defensively because they're right there at the rim. They alter how you, how you play offense. Simmons has been so incredible defensively. And people like uh, clowns like this, we don't even know his name. It's not even worth looking up. Kind of, people who say like this, they only like can read box scores and like points. And even at that point, like over the last, you know, 15 some odd games, Simmons is, is he's putting up like a 28 and eight line with impeccable defense every night consistently. As LeBron said, this dude brings it every damn game. So anyone who says something like that, I uh, just immediately is zero credibility. Well, what's but, yeah, yeah, but interesting. If you think about like I, I like, like yeah, I get that the centers get the sexy stats, the blocks, and the rebounds. But when I think of like like mani- like maniac defenders, I think of like Bruce Bowen of the Spurs. I think of like Patrick Beverly in his prime. I think of Ron Artest for the Lakers and the Pacers. Like those dudes were six three to six seven and got under your skin and threw your best teams. You know, one, two, or three you know, into these horrible shooting nights where they just like, where they were in their heads and they were just rattling them. And, you know, and, and there's, 
I can't really think of too many like six nine, six ten guys who qualified. Kawhi's a little bit shorter than him. You know, Kawhi did a nice job at the at the two three, but Simmons is you know, he's, he's a reporter, but they had the same role. Honestly, I'm sure there's some games where Kawhi has defended uh like a point guard or a small, small player, but he 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 won the defensive player of the year because he was so versatile and disruptive. Simmons, unlike Bowen and Beverly and stuff, like those guys can Bowen, you know, I, I probably saw more of the latter stages of his career, so I don't know as well. But like Simmons legitimately guards one through five at time. Like that kind of versatility is insane. And guys on Twitter, like this fucking clown, uh, what's his name? At Brandon Baskin, feel free to uh, at him on Twitter. He said Simmons definitely is definitely the most overrated player in the NBA. And really in history, being tall is not a talent. He has zero offensive skills besides Duncan. Clearly this guy and also the wizard announcer has just never seen him play basketball. I, I got to be, be honest with you. I, uh, you know, I've been getting ever since, uh, you know, we've been spending time out in, out in PA and I got a uh, league pass in order to watch Nick games out here. And, and, you know, what happens with league pass is you don't always get to hear like Mike Breen, Walt Clyde Frazier call the game. Sometimes you got to hear the local team's announcers and I'm listening to some of these guys. I'm 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 talking to you, Mr. Indiana Pacer announcer. You are horrible, dude. You are just terrible. You say the dumbest shit. And, and we're expected to like sit there and listen to it. And you make these like lame ass observations that aren't even true. Like, so want shout out Nick's announcers. Thank God, like the team has announcers that are good representatives of what you know metropolitan cities should have. Intelligent, articulate, insightful. Thank you. Pacers are just these weird guys. DC apparently also has these very weird guys. I don't also, know. What shout out to uh, to Mark Zumoff, longtime Phillies, uh, Phillies, longtime Philly Sixers play by play announcer. I oh. met him also. Really oh, yeah. nice guy. Yeah, oh, that's cool. He's great. Doing? He has some idioms that are just so like amongst the trees. Nice. Uh, he always talks about what does he say? Um, uh, yeah, I clearly. Drew, drew a blank here on some of the other ones, but really good stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it out. But you'd figure there'd be enough guys vying for these spots that you can get high quality guys. But like this Pacer guy, we've I've watched like two games that he's called. The first game I thought was an anomaly. The second game I was like, no, he's just actually really bad. Like, like horrible. It was comedic. This was like some of the best comedy I've seen in three years. You know, um, have you seen Zach Lowe's league pass rankings? No. Every year he'll at the beginning of the season he'll do a ranking, a league pass rankings, basically the most exciting teams to watch. And one of the uh one of the categories is the announcing team. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah. I definitely do that. Yeah, um, we should take a look at that. But uh that for sure. Some of them, oh, so so bad. So bad. And I'm I, I wish well, I guess I would have had the home feed anyway to for the Sixers game, but so glad that that, that take was tweeted out. Um now nah, the guys, the guys a jump. Simmons, I, I don't think he's overrated. Uh, I think he's rated exactly where he needs to be, which is you are uh, you are elite at many many things. You're very unique. You're a unicorn. But we'd all love to see him put up twenty plus points a game and just solidify himself as one of the best in the game. But until he does that, he's kind of the level below best in the game. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. No, he's he's a top twenty player. He 
pushing up to yeah come on dog are you serious well if you just think of the all-stars where he got voted in two squads east west was he top 10 in the east and the west maybe 25 i'm gonna go 20 to 25 huh well east and what yeah i mean you just said top 20 but i'm going yeah yeah, you're five and five that's 10 and then you're five and five bench All right, here. I'll put it to you this way. I'll put it to you this way. So they the in the draft, LeBron and Katie had to choose to start from the ten. Uh, Katie was like, "You stole my. That was my pick. Who was the first, was the first dude selected in again the whole you know East West well, isn't a thing anymore. Well, Who's the first dude selected picking squads like it's a playground. It, it's a it's a whole different mind mind space, right? Like we we haven't talked. Wait, 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 wait. If LeBron and KD look, here's here's how they pick. First of all, they pick their teammates first, right? Because you can't offend your point guard even if he's the third best player. You pick your teammates first. LeBron took Simmons. Your free agents are restricted free agents next. LeBron took Simmons first. So guys who you don't want to go off on you in the playoffs, right? So nobody wants Ben. Like neither LeBron nor KD want Ben to be guarding them in the playoffs. Not that they can't have their way with him, but they just don't not think like about dealing that. with him. They'd rather other guys who aren't youthful, strong, and athletic and agile, to, agile to like guard him. So, so they all shout him out. Like I get it's a political game, man. Come on, get with it. Like um, you're you're overthinking the the teammates thing. Yeah, picking your teammates first, totally. Oh, and then it just stops there. Ron, Ron's worried about Ben Simmons guarding him in the finals during the all like at the All Star break. Come on. Come on, dude. Yeah, you sit here, Moscato. That's I'm not – why is that unreasonable? You know, why is that unreasonable, right? It's either it's either Ben Simmons or someone from the Nets guarding him. Who do you think he's most worried about? And I will give you that, right? Yeah, but he's not thinking about that, picking the fucking all-star. Yes, yes he is. You know what? You know what? I need to get Moscato myself. I'm jealous. You go so get him. We're going to cut the shit short before I blow a gasket. Hear that fucking dope-ass music. Yeah, there you go. We're going to come back next week, and supposedly we're actually going to have, you know, Trill Bro Dude on the talk. Yeah, the Twitter guy. You Never know. Heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, me neither, but we've, we've hit Never it up. Twitter, so, all right. Till next time. It's been a fun talk. Good shit. Yeah. Good shit, man. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll talk in a week. I'll see, I'll see you on Twitter. Yeah. At me. <laughs> all right, dude. Good shit. I'll, I'll uh, talk to you later. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We had a good time. Hope you did too. Uh, Hit us up, comments, follow us, like us, all that shit. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. I don't know what I'm saying. You're drunk. Word. Peace. Peace.